Hey guys, welcome to the Delta Flyers. We are a weekly podcast that discusses episodes of Star Trek Voyager in chronological order. Your two hosts along this podcast journey are myself, Garrett Wong, aka Ensign Harry Kim, and Robert Duncan McNeil, who portrayed Lieutenant Tom Paris. If you're interested in either an extended version of this podcast or the extended video version of this podcast, both of which include added bonus segments, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers and sign up to become a patron. All right, here we are. Hello. How are you, Robbie? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Anything new on the home front? All, all good? Let's see. What's the latest on the home front? The dog, Walter needs his shots. Oh. And it's it's very difficult to get uh, veterinarians to uh, to let you come in their office. Like, we have to go drive up to the vet's office, call the vet and say, we're outside. Then they come out in the parking lot, get the dog, take him in, do their business, bring him back. Yeah, this whole oh uh, COVID-19 is changing even even vet care. So that's the latest excitement in my uh, neck of the woods. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm just still wondering, how are they going to do conventions? Uh, how is a land-based convention going to happen to do social thing? I mean, if even the vet is so difficult to see the vet, it just, I'm, I'm at a loss of words how this is going to continue. I don't know. I mean, obviously, the answer for the entire world is have enough tests to test the entire population of every country, and then you're good. Then you know, yeah. right? That's the key. Well, I mean, the world has been through these kind of pandemics before, the Spanish flu, the polio yeah. virus, like, you know, once they find, uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, a vaccine. vaccine. Once they mm -hmm. get a vaccine, then I think we'll go back a lot more to a lot more normal kind of situation. And I bet we'll get to, we'll get to uh, uh, conventions and things for sure. Oh, I really hope so. I, really I do too. Hope so. I do too. Okay. Well, Let's, uh, let's go ahead and play a game called What Do We Remember? So uh, for those of you who happen to be uh, Patreon patrons, you know, we're going to go ahead and play that game. For the rest of you, hang in there. We'll be right back with our recap. All right, guys. So we're back. We just watched Ex Post Facto. Yes, we did. <laughs> I'd like to first say... There's a little bit of, uh, you know, some people say Benian, some say Benayan. So tomato, tomato. There's a little inconsistency in the show. Yeah. yeah. Cause to, and Neelix referred to it as uh, the Benayas. Uh, and then Benian is something that we said in the very beginning. So yeah. who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's a made up planet anyway. So the Benayan, right. Benayan, Benayan, tomato, tomato. Yes, I agree. Bananans. Yes. Um, Crazy man, you're convicted to relive the victim's death for every 14 hours for the rest of your natural life. I know. That, you know that actually. That, what, what an if that was how our judicial system worked. Oh, can you imagine that? Yeah. Every murderer had to. I think that would probably. I think it's a great yeah. crime, wouldn't it? I think I mean, it's a great idea. Although, I think that you know part of the theme is the is the is in my opinion the the big idea of this this episode is the imperfections in that like sure in theory that would be awesome if not awesome but if you know if that were a way to punish the 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 criminal is mm -hmm. to relive the victim's experience sure then that would definitely 
be a deterrent, but it's so imperfect as this episode shows, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's not a perfect technology out there, which, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting. The, you know, starting in the black and white sort of flashback and the, like the, the whole story structure in this episode was the first time we did it many more times in the series. It was the first time that we sort of told a story out of sequence. You know, there was a lot of, we started with the crime in black and white, it opened there. And then you, you know, as, as a viewer, you're kind of going, wait a minute, what's happening? Where am I? And it was in on my eyeball. And we started at the end where I had already been convicted. And, and they sit me up and they say, okay, uh, you're going off to prison and reliving this for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's, it was story structure was very unconventional for us, at least at that point. We hadn't done anything like that. And I like that. I like that unconventional story structure. I found it kind of odd that, you know, when they are convicting you, the alien courthouse, and they, they pull back, and it looks more like a psychologist or a therapist office with the yeah. chaise lounge there. And I said, yeah. Where, where's the jury? Where's the... He's very comfortable <laughs> for a president. I, I, I felt that way in the whole, the whole planet. It felt very sort of apartment, living room, like we were in somebody's condo from the 80s yeah. or something. It, it, you yeah. know, you didn't, you didn't get a sense. It went from those shots of the planet with all the city structure which kind of felt a little film noir like we were talking about it felt a mm -hmm. little little southern california you know chinatown looking um yeah it went from that to the condo and that was about it there was no sense of what this this planet was like you know the courthouse the science lab any of that stuff yeah and you had talked about earlier we were talking about how michael pillar um it was his idea uh, that he wanted to do, you know, sort of an homage to uh, the black and white detective, you know, yeah. shows and movies, uh, that film noir look. And it looked great. I know. Mm. I had forgotten when I said that in, in our what do we remember section earlier when we were talking about it. I didn't remember that part of this was in black and white. So it's so funny that, that they literally made it like a black and white, uh, the, the old detective movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do remember one of the things in that very opening shot of the black and white flashback of the crime. I remember that that was all choreographed. Every little move, because it became part of the crime solving, like mm -hmm. the height, you know, every little where my head was, where my hand was, where her head was, all of that was very uh, LeVar Burton and uh, Marvin Rush and everybody sort of choreographed that. It was very mechanical, put it that way. It was like, make sure you don't raise up too high or your height will be too high and it'll ruin the story. So, and, and we did versions of all of that. We had to do a version of one memory and then a version of a different memory. So it was slightly altered depending on where in the story uh, mm -hmm. the flashbacks came up. So. Mm -hmm. The teleplay is uh, by Michael Piller and Evan Carlos Summers. The story was by Evan Carlos Summers. And I just want to take this moment to bring up the fact that Star Trek was one of probably the only shows to have an open submission policy from writers around the world. You could actually send in, you know, your, your uh, uh, script that you've written or, or request a meeting to pitch, you know. So this is something that yeah. was very... Um, unusual in the in the world of Hollywood and, yeah and, and and I think Michael Piller had a lot to do with that you know Michael um may he rest in peace he's he's been gone a while now mm -hmm. Michael was such a um an important man in so many writers lives for sure mm -hmm. I know Michael went to the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill 
I'm from the South, I'm from North Carolina. Michael was a very loyal um, uh, alumni of that school and there, there was a scholarship there in his name for writers, for people that wanted to become uh, Hollywood film, film and television writers. So he really supported mentoring writers and he loved writing, he loved film history, he loved television. He was, uh, he was, yeah, and, and that open submission policy, I know he was a bit, big advocate of that. So, um, yeah, I think Michael did an amazing job in this, you know, for what he set out to do. Whether you like or hate the episode, um, I think it, it achieved what Michael wanted to do creatively, which was to kind of play in that genre of detective story. And uh, I, thought it, I thought it was very well done. And you know Rene Echevarria, the writer that yeah. was over on DS9. Um, he was the first guy who sent in a spec script from home, and they hired him on the spot. They're wow. like, "Can you um, fly to Los Angeles like next week?" And he's like, w uh, uh, "Okay." And he actually wow. became a, a big time. You know, his whole career began because of Star Trek. So wow, amazing. Um, so it, it Devo uh, what? Devo Lavar, Lavar directed. I thought there was a lot of things I noticed. A lot of much tighter close-ups and different angles than we had done on the show at that point mm -hmm. so far. Uh, there was one moment in Sick Bay when Kess is uh, taking the the learning how to be a nurse and sitting at the desk with a doctor, and it was this sort of silhouette shot with the the kind of shadowed frame of the glass window. Yeah. One of the reasons they shot it that way was because we had not finished the set on the other side. There was no, it wasn't complete. There was nothing there. So on the day I remember, cause I was, I was shadowing. Ha <laughs> I was, I was, <laughs> I was um, up there watching a lot of the scenes. Even when I wasn't in them, I would go to work and watch the directors cause I really wanted to direct. And I remember in that scene, they had not finished the set completely. I think the walls were painted, but it just looked I remember them taking it down and going, okay, it'll fit the style of this film noir and we'll keep things shadowy and the set's not finished. Like that's, we were still at that phase in the series. There were walls and parts of the set that weren't quite, um, you know, especially in sick bay. That sick bay sort of expanded. I think they were adding the hydroponics bay over there at one point. So, yeah. I'd like to add real quickly in that sick bay scene, that opening scene, um, it was really nice to watch the doctor, you know, kind of tutoring Cass, putting her through those quiz, the medical quiz, because it really shows that that lighter side of yeah. the doctor. He, because he's he's not ornery with Cass at all. He's very yeah. gentle with her, and so I, I think it was an, an excellent acting choice on the part of um, Bob Picardo to choose to be that lighter guy with Cass. Yeah, yeah, it was very it was very well. I mean, it's funny watching going back to the beginning of this show and seeing how certain stories. Um, allowed certain characters to enter into the series like like the doctor in a very relatable in a very inviting way he was funny mm -hmm. he was he was uh he he kind of stuck out early on as you say he was very warm with cast very good yeah. choices you know yeah. um yeah yeah i agree not a big fan of kessa's wig and this is something that really just kind of oh, just it it made me so upset throughout shooting the seven years uh, of episodes that a lot of times, if it wasn't a series regular, it was also, also a guest star, 
you know, as human beings, we ha we have hair, and why don't we use unless you're the doctor, but we have hair and why don't we use their real hair? But they had to put a wig on Guess, yeah. who was actually blonde underneath there. That's her natural color. So they really could have kind of gotten away from that. But I don't know why we had this preoccupation with utilizing wigs over and over again on everybody. Janeway had a wig. Uh, uh, so did Torres. Torres had to wear a wig. You wore a wig. I wore a wig. <laughs> the whole seven years I wore a wig. No, my, it's funny, my, I did notice in this episode, by the way, my hair got very, like, fluffy and, you know, it was very Ken dolly and, yeah, it, very fluffy. It, it was. Yeah. Um, okay, so then we're in this scene in the bridge where the incoming shuttle, they, there's an, in, an injured crew member, Janeway doesn't know who it is, and it's very eerie, and I remember feeling yes. kind of goosebumpy watching that, going, oh, who could it be? I didn't, yeah, I didn't remember who it was either. I'm looking, I'm going, wait, is that, is that? Tom Paris coming back. I don't right. remember. I didn't remember. And then it comes back and it's you it's and me. you left me. I <laughs> you left me on the planet. I'm, I'm like, I was like, I wrote, I wrote it down. I'm like, what? Harry just, we go down as a team. We're best buddies. And you left me. Well, okay. yeah, let's, taken. let's nope. give it. Yes. Let's let's give credit because the next scene in the sick bay when you have Kim on the sick bay bed, what does he say? Is he say he repeats it twice? He goes, "They made me leave him. They made yes. me leave yes. him." So he does say that. But I want to bring up this this close up of myself there. Okay, now you see very closely that I have a mole on my lip right here, and that mole I eventually got taken off by a plastic surgeon. And I, I am proud to say, you know, of all the Los Angeles actors out there the only time i visited a plastic surgeon was to get that one mole removed i don't remember that that's and, funny that you and they would are. yeah they would cover they usually cover that mole with it with cover with makeup you know but yeah. that one that close-up you could see it so closely and you can see my sideburns remember we talked about that, that you didn't you had them applied with just fate with hair but mine was a, a lace uh, you wore sideburn. a wig you uh, wore yeah, a i wig. wore i wore a sideburn wig yeah sideburn wigs and you could see the little edges of it kind of coming up. Like it wasn't, um, mm -hmm. it, maybe it was pasted down really well. And then from my natural sweat, it just started raising. So in that mm -hmm. close up, it's very, very obvious. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, my teeth. I don't know if you know this, but they had, they made me go to a dentist to whiten my teeth after the first screen test that I had. Because oh, they wow. were saying that they were, they was discolored. But what it was, was... Actually, my two front teeth, one of them was a crown, and the crown was placed a little bit further out a little bit because it was not a good job by the dentist that put it in. I had shattered my one of my front teeth skiing while I was in college, yeah. and I remember my college buddy's father was a dentist, and he put it in, and I said, well, why is it not in line with the other one? Why is it not flush? He said, oh, well, that's in case, he made this up. He goes, that's in case you, uh, if you eat an apple, it's not going to, you know, compromise it and break off, and this was his excuse to not redo it because he put the post in wrong. That hits the light first. So any light that's on me is going to catch that one tooth and every other tooth is going to look darker, right? So right. this whole time, Mary Howard, the producer's like, you really need to get your teeth whitened because we, uh, the screen test shows you, you know, your teeth are kind of darker. And, and in reality, it was because of my college fraternity buddies, father's shoddy workmanship. Now people know. Um, the alien home when we uh, when we see the the flashback. Yeah, we go to get a drink right away. We yeah. start drinking cocktails on the job. 
Well, she yeah. says, would you like a drink? And she doesn't even, she goes, help yourself. As if like, we know what these alien liquors yeah. are. I mean, like, yeah. hello, help, help us. Um, and then before that, she says, I have some leftover rope from yesterday. She said, it sounded like she said rope. I'll throw it in the stew. I know it's not rope, but it sounded like she said rope. Right. That or not. Um, and then your great funny line when you look at me, what are you looking at? And then you look at the dog and you turn into De Niro, more what De Niro. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? You become more hey, De Niro. Hey, you looking at me. Hey, <laughs> hey you talking dog. to me? You talking to me? <laughs> yeah. I like how yeah. you're so aggressive toward the tiny little dog. You know, what are you looking at? You know, that's your, your Nick Locarno is coming out right there. It's, it's great. And then I mentioned, Robbie, at dinner, Lieutenant Paris is our best pilot. Again, another yes. reference to how great of a pilot you are. Well, I, I must have been pretty good because I go into an expl explanation of how I got past the numeri, right? And I talk about how I snuck in and did all these fancy maneuvers. Yeah. So, yeah. so clearly I must be a pretty good pilot because they were impressed and, and I clearly had to sneak in there. By the way, I was confused as to why we were even there in the first place. <laughs> like... I know that you were doing some engineering, you were, that we had a broken no. Maysdell or something. I don't know. But I'm like, why? What? They were supposed to try to help us with getting back home faster. That's, that was the whole thing. But yeah. yeah, it is a little, that's sort of thrown off to the side, you know. Yeah, the whole I, reason that we're there, yeah. that we came to this place with people we don't know, and we're sort of left alone on our own yeah. by the ship. Because yeah. clearly when the shuttle comes back, they haven't talked to us. In, like no. they left us on our own on some no. you know dangerous planet where, where there's a war and i yeah. had to sneak past the numeri on a shuttle <laughs> so like why did we do all that to get home yeah, faster to, right to help so, us get home faster and okay. and i have a note here i was as i was making notes on my iphone i to type lieutenant paris is our best pilot it auto-corrected to pirate which is actually even funnier if i had said yes. in real life lieutenant paris is our best pirate that yes. would have been iron Arg. Um, by the way, I thought you had very good suffering in sick bay. I thought you you were very uh, wow, really. I'm, I'm not clear as to why you were suffering so <laughs> that's, hard. That's my question too. Were you? What? Had you? They said had, I was dehydrated. That's all they said. I I I, I assume they, they stuck me? you in a in a cell. I think they just stuck you in a cell, or maybe it was that cocktail, uh, the alcohol that they offered, and we didn't know what we were drinking, and it dehydrated you. I don't well, know. I, either way, you, you were suffering good. I don't know. So Janeway says, uh, Janeway says, uh, well, Lieutenant Paris has gotten himself into some trouble. Now, why is she assuming that I did something wrong? Why is she, you know what I mean? Why aren't this we is, innocent till proven guilty? No, Isn't man. This, no, this is your prisoner background coming back into play. This it's is the, the problem. prejudice. Yeah, yes. she assumed right away. She literally says to Chicote, Lieutenant Paris has gotten himself into trouble again. So it's prisoner I, prejudice. Yeah, Sorry. It's prisoner prejudice. All right. Um, yes. The Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister, Minister Cray, Benin Minister Cray, played by Francis Guinan in the pinstripe outfit. Yes. Did he not look like John Lithgow to, you? <laughs> to me? I kept going, that's John Lithgow in the alien garb in a way. I don't know. A little I just bit, had a yeah. Lithgow yeah. quality about that. Yeah. And I loved your line, which was just <laughs> when you're doing the recounting and you're telling Janeway, you're like, I was bored. 
You know how it is when two science guys get together. <laughs> You're talking about me and the the the, Benian, uh, the physicist, right? Yes, I'm like, yes. really, really? Is this yeah. a continuation of Sandrine's when you're talking about, you know, I'm gonna, I'm playing the Indian, you know, and when it's two mm-hmm. science guys, Couple it was of... a little, yeah, yeah. Oh, and now because of this episode, we know the Vulcan word for lie detector <laughs> is. What, but, yeah, what was that? He goes, uh, goes, when he wakes up, I will require an autonomic response analysis while I question him again, doctor. So autonomic response, response analysis, analysis is a, you know, fancy Vulcan way of saying lie detector. Lie detector. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I also love when Tubac goes back on the planet service surface to uh, interrogate Mrs. Wren, uh, played by Robin McKee. Uh, basically, is she flirting with Tuvok? Is there, is she, she's oh, trying yeah. to get a little something out of Tuvok. I'm it's, like, you're getting nothing out of that. Classic, it's that classic gumshoe film noir thing of like yeah. the dangerous femme fatale, you know? Yes. I thought Michael Pillar did a great job. I mean, there's, there's a line, uh, it's, it's a little later on, but Michael Pillar had a line he wrote that I wrote, that I copied down that I thought was classic film noir kind of stuff. Right. And it, it, the line was, Paris says at one point, he goes, you know, her eyes were a million kilometers away, staring at the stars that I'd flown by the day before. I mean, that's great, you know. Yeah. Great Michael Pillar work there. It was in a later scene, but I, I thought, yeah, it was that classic character of that femme fatale, sort of dangerous to all men. You know? Yeah, and kudos to Michael Pillar. I mean, obviously he consulted with LeVar Burton before uh, LeVar began directing this because even some of the dialogue from Delen, uh, from both Mrs. Wren and Mr. Wren um, was very film noir, sort of just the way they delivered that. Style, yeah, very, very stylistic. Style. I liked yeah. it though. Yeah. I did like that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, so Tuvok suggests a mind meld with Paris. You're in sick bay. And now, Robbie, here comes, do you remember the camera angle coming up on you? This is, yes. this is when, after I saw this episode, when it aired, I walked up to Robbie and I said, Robbie, man, there's boogers in your nose. And you, Robbie, the look on Robbie's face was like, oh, God. And, and sure enough, in your left nostril, there's definitely some, some booger action. The right nice. one has lighter booger action. And so as a joke, this... Robbie and I actually had one of the makeup guys fabricate a fake booger to put like a really big one. Like it was the size of a marble and we shoved it in his nose and we, he, he painted it the, the colors of what a booger would be. And we walked around because the, the joke was a lot of times when you talk to people and if you have food in your teeth, sometimes they just don't tell you. So we wanted to see how many crew members we could mess with. So Robbie and I walk on set and Robbie walks up to, um, he walks up to craft service. He's like, Hey, Chacho, how you doing, man? And I just remember every person we walked up to and Robbie said hi to it was always the same reaction like, yeah, i'm doing pretty good and they would be just staring at this huge <laughs> booger that was like hanging out of your nose you do you recall this yeah, yeah kate kate was finally the one that said like <laughs> she grabbed a tissue from somebody she goes here you need this <laughs> finally but yeah nobody would say anything blow your uh, nose mr paris blow your nose by the way when tuvok goes over to when goes over to interrogate mrs wren yeah he knocks on a door and she opens a door like a real door. Like it wasn't a sci-fi. Oh, it wasn't like oh, a, it was just like on hinges. It was, that was part of what made 
some of this feels strange to me. She I never opened, thought about that. She opened a real door. And then when he walked in, by the way, he did not shut that door behind him because he's so used <laughs> to, you know, doors automatically going. <laughs> so if you watch him walk in, he just walks past an open door. <laughs> she's on the other, she's gone inside. So they just left the door to the hallway, I guess, wide open. That's crazy. Oh my God. He just left it open. She offered Tuvok a drink and he's like, no, we don't drink. And right. are, they, are these guys, the Benians, alcoholics? What <laughs> is going on? Everybody's got a, a drink in their hand. I'm going to um, also talk about the set design for the Benian, um, for that household, the Ren household. If you notice, the sconces are very reminiscent of female anatomy. And I, this is something that kind of starts recurring throughout episodes of Voyager that there are a lot of oh my gosh not only is it with the light with with lighting sconces but just general set design and different things elements there's a lot of it's it's either male or female anatomy or a or the alien prosthetics on their heads or their yeah, yeah yeah there's also yes. a lot of again anatomy I don't know what this preoccupation is with that but there, it's everywhere it's very inspiring yeah it's I suppose so um the numeri the numeri battle scene when the numeri start uh start firing on us chakotay's piloting i don't remember him piloting very often if ever no. that's the first time and then and then he says oh let's do that fancy maquis trick it's basically playing dead it's like not a fancy maquis trick okay right <laughs> like yes basically let's pretend to play dead for a second and then they're gonna come over and then we're gonna like okay you you maquis are so smart with your playing dead this fancy trick you invented and balana's on the bridge i never see you never see her on the bridge yeah that's a rare balana appearance very rare on the bridge. He, yeah, he, he turns to balana he's like hey let's do that fancy maquis trick we did remember right you know the playing dead yep um, yep Yes, and also I have a note that we see uh, Neelix on the bridge, and he's sitting. And I just want to—I want the fans to know he's not sitting in a chair next to Janeway. That's just part of the, you know, the, the bridge that he just found a little nook that he sat down in. Yeah, so, it kind of looks like it's a seat, but it's not. It's not I, a seat. I did notice in that scene on the bridge, after Chicote does his fancy mocky trick, that uh, Janeway says to him. She puts her hand on his shoulder and says, well, that's one trick you won't be able to use when we get back, Chakotay. Right. And he, he looks at her very seductively and says, I have more tricks. Oh. Very flirty. Oh. So there's a little, yeah, Chakotay yeah. and Janeway have a little moment there. A little moment. Okay, I like so that. So let's talk about the um, mind melds. We got to talk about the mind melds. Yes. Go ahead. So do you remember when... Tim Russ filmed this scene. He came over to me and he said, "Hey, Bubba, when they get to my uh, when they get to my uh, close up, I'm going to do a take, a joke take. Okay, so just uh, you know, just wait, you'll see." And so they had pushed in as he's doing his mind meld. They pushed the camera in very close on his face. He's doing all of these faces, you know. He's scrunching his eyes together and doing his mind meld face, and the and the camera's in very close. And the sound man has also brought the microphone in very close. And they're all, because it's in a real tight shot. And oh then God. all of a sudden, in the silence with the face all scrunched up, Tim Russ goes, wow! 
like really loud. I didn't want to do it so loud. He <laughs> yells so loud. Wow! I feel good. Do, 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 do. Like I knew that I would. Well, oh my god! The cameraman and the sound man freaked out. Like the camera jumps, and the sound man jumps and throws his headphones off his off his ears, and he's like, "Oh my god!" Nobody knew that was coming, and Tim thought it was very funny. I don't know that the crew thought it was very funny because it it was loud. Did did he wait? Did he tell you did? exactly what he was doing or he just surprised no, you as well? No, he just said, I'm going to do a joke. Surprised you as do, well. I, mean, I got a special one. Once once we get all the other ones, I got a special one. <laughs> so when they jump back, maybe your boogers flew out at the same oh time. They just, just in shock from that. That's hilarious. But that's so indicative of of uh, Tim Russ. He's always been this this premeditated jokester. Like he thinks yeah. about it. He's like, what am I going to, how am I going to plan this? I'm going to go ahead and do this. So, yeah. This. And he's great like that. So I wasn't but, there that day. That's great. Yep, that's what he did. So in the shuttle, when Tom and Harry are coming back and you're kind yeah. of telling me about dangerous women and Harry, watch out, you know, uh-huh. you know, you should have warned me. This is your fault, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's a nice little moment between the two of us. And then yeah. when the Numiri come in. What's interesting about that is right in the scene before Janeway says, oh, we can't possibly transport him. He's so sick. He can't, he can't be transported. And, and we're going to have to fly a shuttle down to bring him. And then when mm. it got to that scene, I was like, I'm not sick. Why did she say that? And then I realized, oh, it was all a trick. She was lying to them so she could get the new Mary. But, but my first thought was like, oh, my God, why did I do the scene like this? I should have been sick. I should have been. But it, it was. Oh, OK. OK. You know I hear I mean? you. Yes, I do. Um, so now the Numeri come in, and um, first of all, their wardrobe were basically because um, I asked wardrobe about that. I go, is that is that a scuba? Is that a wetsuit? And they're like, yeah, it's a modified wetsuit. So they were wearing wetsuits actually, which That's they put funny. a little extra fabric on there. Um, and then why the hell do we look at each other before the beam out? What was that? Like we just was that a direction from Lavar? Do we end I up think- going like? Hey, let me look at you. And then, well, what? I think it's all part of. Yeah, I think it was probably a direction that you know this was all Tuvok saying. Hey, if we head back, the Numeri are trying to get Tom because he's yeah. the cur- he's the courier of right. this information in his brain. So right. if they show up and try to take him, then we know that my my whole analysis is correct. Correct. So, yeah, I think yeah. as soon as they walk in, we look at each other like Tuvok was right. Oh, it was one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. The murder she wrote scene. It was a classic murder she wrote, which, by the way, I did a murder she wrote episode. Oh. When Tuvok's figuring out the whole, the whole um, crime. And I thought it was, I thought it was a really smart, like stacking of details and the way he laid it all out and the, you know, the height difference. And wait a minute. Oh yeah, they're not the same height, but in the memory they are the same height. And, mm-hmm. and how would he know exactly where to stab him to get the heart unless he was somebody else? So it all started adding up really nicely. I thought that was great. Um, I, and I thought his line when he said, "There is not a technology that is entirely s- safe from tampering." Mm-hmm. To me, that that is the theme of the episode. It's like it's it's okay. a great episode to to sort of say. Yeah, even though there may be this very tempting technology that gives the criminal punishment that seems well-deserved and appropriate and all, yeah. 
it's a technology and we can't trust technology to be perfect. We just can't, you know, especially in, in something like crime and punishment and things like that. Like you would never want to risk, um, you know, someone suffering from a punishment that, that could be, could be imperfect. So. Okay. I'll go, I'll go with that then. Cause I was kind of at a loss to honestly, to think about like, what, what is the essence of what's the, what's the, what's the underlying message here? So enough of that one line. I like that. The, the other thing that just occurs to me, yeah, it's off of that one line, not a technology that's entirely safe from tampering. And if we think about this was filmed in probably 94, maybe 95, probably still 94, yeah. the mm -hmm. late, late 94, DNA testing and DNA technology was brand new. Okay. You know, nowadays we think about, oh, testing DNA for a crime. Like if you have the DNA, you can test and and you can see if someone's innocent or guilty. But in 1994-95, DNA testing was still very experimental. So I mm -hmm. think this, this uh, episode was very appropriate to that time of, well, can we trust DNA testing in, in convicting criminals? Can we mm -hmm. trust this, this memory technology in convicting criminals? Similar. It was, a, it was a timely story, I think. Yeah, I'll buy that. I just yeah. want to add one more thing. I know you referred to uh, you referred to it as the murder she wrote um, scene. Yes. And this just shows you from more of my standpoint, being Asian American, I said, well, this is the Charlie Chan resolution scene. Like yeah, Charlie <laughs> Chan you know, solves everything. Or if you want to go even, you know, more younger, we can, we can talk about, this is the end of Scooby-Doo episode where they, yes, they prove yeah, exactly. who is the culprit. So it's the classic crime episode. Yes. Yeah. 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 I thought, by the way, the dog did an awesome job jumping on the actor because I, I have, as a director, I've worked with a lot of animals. It's hard. And that little dog, when it came in the, in the door, he was the final clue in that scene. Yeah. And he started jumping at the, at the one actor. That's yeah. hard to do. Like, I don't know if he had, you know, sausage in his hand or what, but. Something. But it's, okay. it's also, I just want to bring, uh, bring it out that, um, you know, whenever we, like for instance, in the mess hall, whenever Neelix is cooking food, they try to find the most alien-esque looking vegetables and fruits, you know, um, that they can find. And typically they would go to like an Asian market and find some, you know, random Asian fruit to, to use it as an exotic alien fruit. And in this case, for this dog, they tried to find an exotic breed that could look like an alien type of dog. And they chose this Chinese crested terrier, which I, I had never seen that breed before. And it's just kind of funny how they both used an Asian dog and Asian food in Star yes. Trek to represent the look. The, the, look. Future. It's the future. Yes. Finally, for me, that last scene with Tuvok, I thought was great. And I loved his, his line when he said, what, what do you humans call it? Short talk? Short talk, yes. yes. Short talk, yes. yes. Very funny. And, and he I, prefers I, reading. Yes. And I, and I liked my line. Um, I liked my line when I said, uh, well, like it or not, Tuvok, you've made a friend today. I wrote that I down that too. Was, yeah, that was a nice line. Yeah. I like that moment. Yeah, that was good. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to our discussion of Ex Post Facto. Uh, tune in next week when we will be covering a Harry Kim-centric episode, the first Harry Kim episode of season one, Emanations. See you then.